Good morning. So apparently, I have discovered that parenting is just one big teachable moment for everybody involved. Everybody involved. Everything is, uh, hey, okay, that's, you shouldn't have done that. Here's why. And then also for me, it's like, wow, that is, am I like that? Because I feel like I owe my parents a lot of apologies. My, my thing now that I'm having a hard time with right now is, is the, uh, Dad, I he- I, Daddy, I hear you. Really? Because you know what seemed to indicate you don't hear me? You're not doing anything that we just talked about. No, I hear you. I hear No, well, no, no. We, I think we have a gross misunderstanding of that word because you say that, and yet I don't see you doing anything at all. You can't have heard me say, please pick up that book seven or eight times and still be unclear as to what I would like you to do. And I look at that and it just it drives me nuts. It's so frustrating. But if I'm honest, yeah, that's, that's totally me too. I am totally like that. And not just as a kid, but I'm like that now. I was reminded of that this week because I had to go to the dentist that is the appropriate response when someone says that. No, if you're a dentist, I thank you for taking care of our teeth, but it's still an emotion, it takes an emotional toll. And the way that you know that you are the same way, that you will say you hear something, but your behavior is different, is because the dentist will ask you a series of questions, and one of them is certainly going to be, have you been flossing? And what's your answer, honestly? Yes, because you did it that morning so you could answer yes. I mean, I, I fundamentally believe what, I don't think they're lying to me. I don't think that, that dentists are shilling for big floss, trying to just get me to like buy these little, I don't think that, but I, I, it's like I'm not doing it every day. I'm just like my kids in that way. Hearing and doing are not the same things. Hearing and doing are not the same things. And we're going to look at a story this morning where Jesus talks about that very idea. We're going to kick off a series this morning called The Takeaway, where we're going to look at a series of parables, stories told by Jesus in the book of Luke in the New Testament. You may now be going, oh, that, the game makes sense. What's the takeaway? That's what we're, we're doing a series called The Takeaway. Parables are stories with a message, are stories with purposeful truth, Parables were a common tool used by teachers during this period, and the goal is to communicate something obscure in common ways. Jesus is a master storyteller, and he knows that people remember stories. Stories speak to us. The idea of a narrative really connects with us in a deep way. We remember stories. And the reason I know that is you can all think of the plot of a book or a movie that you read that you you really liked and, and give it to me almost verbatim, but you're going to definitely have to look at your spouse's social security number to get it right. Yeah, there's, you know why? You know why there wasn't a lot? Because some of you are like, oh, that, that's too true. That's too true. I remember my wife's now. It took me 11 years and doing our taxes that many times. We remember stories, though. Stories speak to us. Stories connect with us. And Jesus told these pointed stories all the time, all the time. And that's what we're going to look at. A series of these parables. We're going to start with 
with a parable that's commonly called parable of the sower or parable of the soils. Jesus has been followed by these large crowds. Uh, Everywhere he goes, he's a huge hit and people gather from these towns to hear him. And Jesus is in a part of the country right now where there's a lot of farming. And so he chooses to tell a story that connects with these people where they are. He speaks in their culture, in their context, in their language. And he tells a story about four soils, four soils, all right? Now, soil is important. I just spent time with a, uh, I spent time talking with a farmer this week to learn more about this. And apparently, there's a whole lot of thought that goes into this. Apparently, better soil produces better crops. It's one of those things that's like, yeah, no, I guess, no, yeah, I should have known that. That makes total sense. And this guy was kind enough to walk me through and explain to me some of the stuff that goes on. Southern Indiana apparently has beautiful, rich clay loam soil. It retains water, which is very valuable because it means you don't have to irrigate as much. Good soil needs to be nurtured and developed. Good soil needs to be taken care of. There's a lot of different elements that go into it. You need the right pH balance. You need the right nitrate levels, the right nitrogen, the right phosphate levels. Requires constant vigilance on the lookout for blight or weeds or or infestations. And Jesus, and what we're going to look at this morning, tells a story about soils. It's in Luke chapter 8, verse 4, if you want to follow along with us. So his story tells that people gathered and a farmer goes out to plant his seed, all right? And so Jesus tells us about the first soil, the first soil, all right? That soil was the footpath. So Jesus tells us that the seed fell along the hard soil of the footpath, okay? That was part of the field where people walked over and birds would sweep down and and pick it off the, the ground. They would just come over and they'd pick it up and they'd eat and they'd take it away until it was gone and there was nothing left. That was great timing, right? You can say that's okay. And so we see this soil right here represents that, that first soil. It's been packed down, it's been trodden, and all the seed, if we were to spread seed, would just be taken off from it. Got a little seed right here. Let's say we're going to plant, Right? It just kind of sits on top. And the birds come and they take it away. And then Jesus describes the second soil. It's a rocky soil. All right? It's got rocks close to the surface. And so the seeds take root and they start to grow. But they don't last. They don't sustain. Because the rocky soil means the plant has a shallow root system. And when the sun comes out and the heat of the day beats on it, it it doesn't get enough water and it withers and it dies. And so the seed that we pour here isn't going to last. Jesus talks about a third soil. A third soil where seed is planted and it grows, but then weeds come up around it. And these weeds compete with our seed They compete for resources, they compete for nutrients, they compete for sunlight and rain. And eventually these weeds, they choke out the seeds and they die. And then lastly, we see good soil. We see that seeds are planted and they grow and they're nurtured and they take root and they prosper. 
we see the harvest is bountiful, a hundred times what was, what was planted. If you'll notice, I picked out tomatoes with the green still on them, just, just for the visual for you. We have a huge harvest in the good soil. So what, is this, what does this mean? What, what does this mean? What do we do with this story? Now, whether or not the farming method was, was done exactly the way that people did it at the time, people would have understood what Jesus was talking about when he said this. Some scholars think that plowing in this area happened after seed was sown, and so it's possible this, this all could have been turned around. And as Jesus is telling this story, this is connecting with his audience. They're getting what he's saying. A hundred times, a hundredfold harvest is not a crazy thought. That's high. It's incredibly impressive, but it's certainly realistic. So Jesus is speaking to this story, and it's connecting with them, but what do we do with that? What does it mean for us? Well, we luck out here because we don't have to guess. Jesus tells us what it means. He starts in verse 9. Disciples ask Jesus what this means, and he says, you are permitted to understand the secrets or the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but I use parables to teach others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they look, they won't really see. When they hear, they won't understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while and then they fall away when they face temptation. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life, so they never grow into maturity. And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people. It really means people with honest and good hearts who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. Jesus unpacks this, and he explains that this is all to help people understand the mysteries of God. Really, it means God's purpose and God's plan, that God's communicating to us a part of his huge cosmic plan. And Jesus challenges us to do three things with this parable. The seed is the word of God, and he challenges us to do three things with the, with the word of God. He says, hear it, cling to it, and be fruitful because of it. Hear it, cling to it, and be fruitful because of it. Our first takeaway is hear it. We need to hear it. Now, the idea of hearing is not a one and done thing. All right? We sometimes will use this word here to mean I, the sounds you are making in your mouth are making it into my ear canal. Right? But none of us mean hearing in that way because when we say, like, did you hear me? We don't mean, did those sounds reverberate off the, your inner ear membrane? What we're saying is, are, are you listening to me? Are you engaging with me? Are you understanding me? Are you hearing me? We want to be heard. We want to be heard. And Jesus challenges us here to hear God's word, to hear it. Really, to continually hear. To understand who God is and who he's communicating himself to be as he reveals himself through his word. What I love about this picture here is that the seed that's given, what we're supposed to hear is given by a sower. It's, the focus on this story 
is really on the response of the soil to what's given. Because for us, truth is something that's given. It's not something that we have to understand on our own. It's not something we have to figure out or create from scratch. It's something that has been given, that God is truth, and he gives it to us. He helps us to understand it. He speaks in our language, in our culture, in our context. The fullest expression of that is him sending his son, Jesus, to fully God and fully man, to live amongst us, that we might understand God's heart for people. We can see that when we realize that God would send his son to die for us. Jesus wants us to hear that. So how do we hear it? What does that mean? Does it mean I audibly hear it? That's a fair question. And I want to tell you, not necessarily. If you're sitting in here and you're like, I've never audibly heard the voice of God, you're okay. You don't have to leave. You're okay. Because we are all unique. We are all individuals. We are all different. And God knows that because he created us. And so God speaks to us in the ways that we hear. God speaks to us in the way we need to be spoken to. I can't tell you what hearing the voice of God will be like for you because I don't know what that's like, but I can tell you it's not, it does not have to be an audible voice from God. It's most often a persistent knocking on our heart, a persistent longing in our soul, a persistent sense of something. I remember one time I was just in the midst of a hard season of life. I was discouraged and I was wrestling and I was preparing for a sermon and I was preaching on John chapter 14 when Jesus was with the guys that he spent time with called the disciples in the upper room before he was going to be crucified. And, and they were confused by what was going on. They didn't understand. Jesus kept saying, I'm where I'm going, you, you can follow. And they're like, I, I don't know what that means. What, what are you doing? And I resonated with that because I just, I felt confused and overwhelmed. I, I just felt so muddled in my own thinking. And God spoke to me in that moment. And it wasn't this audible voice. And it wasn't a fiery finger in the sky writing it out, though that would be super helpful if he wanted to do that. What happened was a thought came to me that, that hit me like a thunderbolt. Like it just, it, it just washed over me as just knowing this was true. And it was the idea that Jesus' response to his disciples about their confusion of the present and their fear and the uncertainty of the future was himself. That Jesus kept pointing back to himself. It's me. It's me. Be with me. I go before you to prepare a way. It's me. Come with me. Be with me. And it just, it just hit me. Are you listening? Are you hearing God? Because I can tell you God is speaking to you. I can tell you that God loves you and, is, and has created you uniquely and has invested in your life and is speaking to you. Are you hearing him? Are you hearing him? The hard thing is that hearing, really hearing, truly hearing God often means hearing things that we don't like and we don't want to hear. So do we stop listening because we're afraid we're not going to enjoy what comes up? The problem with that is that gives us the picture of the first soil, that this Hard soil was so compacted and so hardened that the, so, the, the seed sat on top, never sunk in, never took root, and was taken away, was crushed and was taken away by birds. That's what happens when we don't hear. Second thing that Jesus challenges us to do is to cling to it. 
Not just to hear it, not just to hear truth, not just to hear God's word, but to cling to it. Because folks, hearing, real hearing compels action. Real hearing compels action. We can't help but hear truth, things that we, we know are true and act accordingly. It doesn't make any sense to hear truth and not act accordingly. It doesn't make any sense. There was an air raid siren last Thursday, apparently a tornado warning, which I can tell you they definitely never mentioned in the interview process. <laughs> and I have a bunch of missed phone calls, and I call my wife afterwards. She's like, did you, you know, did you hear about the tornado warning? I'm like, what? No. And now I'm deeply concerned about where we play volleyball on Thursday nights, because how did I not hear that? It wouldn't make any sense to hear this tornado warning and go frolic about in the midst of a meadow as if there was nothing going on. It's like, I want the deepest, darkest, most reinforced hole in Bartholomew County. It doesn't make sense to hear truth and not respond. If you are out shopping and there's buy one, get one free, you're getting a second one free. Because that's true. You're not going, oh, you know what? I only came for one. I'm not going to respond to this new information that I've received that I can get a second one free. No, thank you. Full price for one is great. You're going, sign me up. Give me that second one. I don't even know I'm going to use it, but I'll take it. Frankly, the only time I can think of where hearing truth and not responding is valid is serving sizes, particularly with ice cream. I'm not eating half a cup. Get out of here. But when we hear truth, we have to respond to it. It doesn't make any sense to hear truth and just ignore it. It, it, it just doesn't. Hearing and doing are not the same thing. When we hear, then we need to do. Some people have asked, what, what's this tattoo? And it's, it's my favorite verse. It's James 1.22, which says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. Or in another translation that I love, it says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers. And I think the subtext of that is James is going, because it doesn't make sense otherwise. Why would you hear and acknowledge that something is true and then not live your life according to it? It doesn't make any sense. But we're confronted that with, rea with that reality when we look at the second soil. Because here in the rocky soil, the seed took root and it started to grow, but it didn't have enough depth in order to build a big enough root system to draw enough water. And so when the sun came out and the heat of the day beat upon it, it withered away and it died. And maybe that's you. Maybe the pain of life, maybe the discouragement, maybe your doubt, your fears have overcome you. And, a, and whatever faith you knew at one point has died away, has been, has been killed by this. Maybe you're saying, if God really loved me, he wouldn't let this happen. How could this happen to us? I've asked God to do something and he hasn't done anything. And maybe that pain and that hurt have caused us to die. What do we do with that? Because that's hard to hear. Or maybe this is you. Maybe you're feeling like the seed planted in thorny soil. And you grew and you sprouted up and things were looking good. And then life got in the way. And things got busy. 
and stuff looked more appealing. This is, this is where truth sinks in and it's heard until life gets busy and full and other things come along that look more appealing. Maybe this is you and you're saying, yeah, I get why people that are hurting need Jesus. I mean, I get why that would be appealing, but I'm doing well. I'm successful. I got a good job. I got a nice house. I got a nice car. Three out of my four kids turned out okay. I'm doing pretty well. What do I need this for? This, this doesn't have any appeal to me. And whatever faith was there has been crowded out by other things that just seem more appealing. But are they true? Are they eternal? Because in this moment, we need to be reminded that what feels right, what feels true may not necessarily be true. We need to have a, a wider lens and a, and a bigger view to say that it can't life can't just be about my momentary satisfaction. It can't be. There must be something more. How do we look to anchor our lives on true things and not just what feels right in the moments? Because I think if we're honest, what feels right in the moment often gets us in trouble. And it's in these moments and in these moments that we need to cling to truth. In the moments where life is overwhelming and we are hurt and we are at our lowest of low, that's the only thing we can do is say, I am going to cling to the God who I know cares about me, who I know has a plan. Even when I don't get it, even when it doesn't make sense, I'm going to cling. I'm going to cling to truth. It's all I can do. It's all I can do. And over here, we need to cling to truth because truth needs to be our anchor point. Truth needs to be our, our true north. Truth needs to be what keeps us from being pulled away and seduced by other things that are so temporary. How do we cling to truth? Lastly, Jesus challenges us to be fruitful because of it. To hear truth, to hear God's word, to cling to it, and then be fruitful because of it. What I love about this is I spent time reading over the last couple of weeks is that the good soil is not distinguished by the absence of difficulties. The distinguishing mark for the good soil is the harvest. What marks the good soil is the good soil is that there is a harvest. Because I would imagine that this soil had difficulties. I'd imagine that, that weeds might have sprung up. I would imagine that maybe there were some rocks there. I would imagine that there were some challenges with this soil, but the farmer stepped in and corrected those things, and the soil didn't get in the way of that. And look at the harvest that came out because of it. I mean, these tomatoes look spectacular. The good soil is marked by the harvest. We can look at that with hope because we don't have to say, well, I can't possibly be that good. I can't possibly have it that together. I can't possibly be that perfect. What we see here is that the harvest, the fruit is what matters. The fruit is what matters. The picture we see here is really one of either or. Seed is spread equally by the same sower. Are you bearing fruit or are you not? Those are the choices. It's either or. Either you're bearing fruit or you're not. And if we can judge the good soil by the harvest, then we can look at our own lives and say, is there fruit in my life? Am I different because of Jesus? 
Have I just shoved God into a corner so that I can check a box and say I'm okay? Or am I different because of the work of God in my life? One of my favorite things is to hear from people when they say, my family has seen a difference in me. That's one of my favorite things because I look at that and, I, and that and I get that, where there's things I desperately want to be different about myself that I can't just make happen. But we can look to the God who created us and knows us and loves us and he brings about that change. Are you bearing fruit? Are you bearing fruit? Jesus adds an important caveat at the end of this verse too. He says, He's talking about the good soil, bears fruit, it says, and patiently produces a huge harvest. That's hard. I don't do patience well. The worst thing that ever happened to me was tracking numbers being included on online orders. I don't want to know because now I know what's coming and I keep checking. It's like, well, it hasn't moved here in two hours? Gosh, how slow are you, FedEx? I don't want to be different in six months. I don't want to be different in five years. I want to be different 15 minutes ago. But we're called to be patient in that process because that's how God works. That's how we know it's God working, that it's over time, that God speaks and pokes on the same things over and over again. That's, patience is one of the ways we know that God is at work. It's one of the ways we know that he's getting after something. When we listen patiently and we hear and we feel and we sense the same thing over and over and over again, it's God getting at that stuff in us. 1 Corinthians 3, 7 says it like this. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. And given the choice between infertile soil and fertile soil, I want to be this one. I want to be one that, that prospers. I want to be one that, that has a harvest that is abundant. I don't want to be one of these that dies out. I want to be this one. I want to live a life that is rich and meaningful and satisfying beyond my wildest dreams. I want to know the life that the God of the universe created for me. I want to live this way. I know that I am a better husband. I'm a better father. I'm a better everything the more connected I am with Jesus. I know that. I want more of that life. I want more of that life. When we think about soil like this, the work is done by the farmer. The seed has the plant and the farmer prepares the fields and he sows the seed and he nurtures the crops and he weeds and he protects. Folks, God has done the same for us. God has done the same for us. Are we willing to let him? Are we willing to let him? Are we going to fight him or are we willing to let him? Because this is an either or proposition. Either we're bearing fruit or we're not. The quality of the seed and the ability of the farmer are not at issue. It is the soil that's the focus. How do we respond? What soil do you feel like you are right now? What soil do you feel like you are? You feel like you're over here? That you're hardened and you're jaded and you're, you've turned bitter? And this stuff, when someone tries to tell you about a God that loves you, it just washes off your back. You're not interested. Are you over here? Are you rocky soil? Were you, you caught in the midst of fear or doubt or pain and you've allowed that to overshadow who God is and it has caused faith to die? Are you over here? Are you the thorny soil? 
Are you busy with life? Are you caught up in success? Are you trying to find your own good on your own apart from God? Have you lost your way? Do you look up and, and wonder, how did I get here? What happened? Where do you feel like you're the good soil? Are you bearing fruit? Is your life richer and having an impact on others greater than you can imagine because of the God that's at work in you? Which one are you? I love this story because it it hits me because we are all on a journey and I think I can identify with each of these at different parts of my life. Moving here, there's a lot that's going on and and it can be overwhelming at times and it can be discouraging at times and, and I can, when I really take stock, I know that I can allow life to crowd out who God is but I need more of that. I am better everything the more connected I am with Jesus. I need that more And I need God to come in and prune the snot out of this thing so that I can move back over here. And I need to stop fighting him so that he can do that. We're called to hear. And it's really nothing more than responding to the work that God has done. This is the human response to the truth about what God has done. And I want to give you a couple ways to do that. One is be quiet with God. Be quiet. The number one reason that we don't hear God speak to us is because we are not listening. And in fact, we are actively filling our lives with other things to drown out his voice. Be quiet with God. Go take a walk at night. Have a conversation out loud with him. Get time with him. Be quiet with him and listen. Seek the counsel of other people, of godly, wise people. Listen to sermons. Come here. Be part of this and hear truth. And some of you might ask, well, how do I know that it's something that God wants for me? What do I do with that? How do I understand that? And I would say, is it, is it biblical? And if you don't know the Bible, that's okay. I would seek out godly wise people and ask them and allow them to speak into it. Do people that you trust and respect, are they saying similar things? Have you been praying about this? Have you been asking God? I'm guilty of this too when it's like, well, I think God wants me to do this even though I I mean, I haven't really asked him and I'm not listening and I'm not seeking counsel and I haven't prayed about it. Really what that turns out is I really want to do something. Be open to where God is. Be open to where God is leading you. Be open to where God is moving you. Folks, it's important that you know on behalf of the staff here at the Ridge, this is not us all the time. We do not, I don't stand up here, Jerry and I don't come up here and teach and go, oh, we are the good soil. Look on us with awe and wonder, you peons. It's not us. It's not us. We are broken and in process and on a journey just like you are. And we want to create a place where you can come and go, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what to do. I want help. I don't want to be stuck here because there's good news. It is only too late for these soils at the end. It's only too late at the end. All of this could be fixed. Each of these other three soil situations could have been fixed. You can do things to fix bad soil. Are you going to let God do that? Are you going to let him soften your heart? Are you going to let him give you a different perspective on pain? Are you going to let him 
pull away things that are less important than him? Are you gonna do that? Are you gonna let God work in your life? Folks, I can promise you that God is speaking to you, that God is communicating to you. My question for you, are you listening? Are you listening? 